I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Hey, it's Jason Moon. The List was reported and produced by a new team here at New Hampshire Public Radio called Document. And I am so lucky to be a part of this team because we get to make the kind of radio journalism that I've loved since I was a kid. Long-form, enterprise, investigative, just good stories that really matter, like this one. And we think this kind of reporting is critical to being an informed citizen especially now. But sadly, it is not free. If you want NHPR to make more work like this, consider making a donation to the station. The amount is up to you, but every contribution really makes a difference. You can find a link to donate in the show notes or go to our website, nhpr.org document. You're listening to The List, Part 3. I'm Jason Moon. Well, um, I'm John Gannert. Uh, a lot of people say Gantert, but it's really pronounced Gannert. <laughs> there was a time in John Gannert's life when things got bad, really bad. He got evicted from his apartment. Then his girlfriend dumped him. To cope, John decided to escape to different worlds. He started writing science fiction. I know this is stupid, but uh, <laughs> it's about... An apocalyptic Earth follows a team of pilots. The stories are inspired by the ones his grandpa, a World War II pilot, used to tell him. But they're also about what John was going through at that time. They're they're fighting tight G's. They're they're exploring another atmosphere. They're burning up in the atmosphere. They're trying. There's something going wrong. The more action that's in the book, that was one of my worst days being fired. That I, I just kind of harnessed all of that negative energy and I had to put it into writing. And at the end of the day, I might have punched out 35 to 40 pa- pages without eating anything. And I felt better. It all started when John Gannert was fired from his job as a cop. It happened in 2011 at the Rochester, New Hampshire Police Department. John was working an evening shift and he was handed what should have been a routine assignment. Two officers just came in. They have a booking procedure. I need you to just book and process and bail this person and then get back on the street because we have about 15 to 20 pending calls, which is normal for Rochester. With that, the other officers leave, and John is left alone with the suspect. John's job is to basically process the arrest, book him, fingerprint him, have someone from the court set bail, and then the guy would be released. But then there's a hiccup something nobody was expecting. The guy in custody 
refuses bail. This means that suddenly John has a ton of paperwork to do for an arrest that he didn't make. And meanwhile, John says his supervisor is getting annoyed that he's still at the station and not out responding to calls. And now over 45 minutes, and then the supervisor comes back, John, what's taking so long? Get going. I'm like, this, well, listen, just get it done. I don't care. Go. Just go. Get it done. You're taking too long. John knows he could get written up for taking too long with this. So he's rushing to get it all finished, and he's almost there when he comes to a form called the Lethality Assessment Protocol, or LAP form. It might sound like a bit of bureaucracy, but it's actually an important document. The LAP form is used to gauge the risk for victims of domestic violence, which is what this guy was arrested for. If a victim answers yes to enough of the questions, it triggers an immediate referral to the local domestic violence hotline. But the victim is not there. And in desperation, John starts looking through the files of the arresting officer. He finds a recording of the victim's statement. John figures it's the best he could hope for right now. The victim is not asked the specific questions from the lap form in the interview. But some of the answers come up anyway. So John watches the recording, and he answers yes on the form when he can, and no when he's not sure. Looking back, John admits this was a mistake. It wasn't my intention to do anything bad with it. It was an intentional mistake, and yes, maybe they should have trained me again on the lap form. John thought he would be in bigger trouble if he didn't send out this form. He was wrong. He remembers getting called to the chief's office a few days later. I'm like, oh, jeez, chief's office, okay. What's, uh, what is this? So I get, get escorted upstairs. And his echelon's basically around the whole table in his, in his office. And he's like, well, it, it, uh, it, it concerns me twofold that uh, you're not conditioned to be a supervisor to make these calls. So uh, it's this, this official, official report. And I was like, wait a minute. It's a lap form. It's a courtesy form. It was still under trial. It's brand new at that point. It's not even implemented statewide. What, what do you mean? He's like, well, it's official report and I'm suggesting you termination. John didn't know. The arresting officer had already filled out and sent off a lap form before he got there. So now there were two forms with two different sets of answers. And the difference wasn't trivial. On the form John filled out, most of the answers were marked no. And that meant the domestic violence protocols would not have kicked in. But on the one filled out by the arresting officer, most of the answers were marked yes, and that did trigger the protocols meant to protect the victim. For this, the chief fired John and added his name to the Lori list. I'm just like, are you kidding me? And I I looked at the chief, I'm like, are you kidding me over this? I'm like, I got dumped a booking procedure. I did it the best that I could. I explained this, and you're firing me? Why? I got really upset. I'm not, gonna, I'm, not gonna, I'm not going to deny that. I got super upset at that table. And then that, now I understand why the sergeant was next to me, because I was under escort. This is when things started to unravel for John. He was living in an apartment run by the Public Housing Authority, part of a program to get cops to move in. But now that he wasn't a cop, he got evicted. And even harder, John says, was trying to explain this to his family. And just like I predicted, they kind of gave me the glazed overlook. Like, is this what really happened? What really happened? 
Like, this, this sounds stupid. Like, what really happened? What did you do there? Eventually, John decides he wants to fight his firing through the police union. And it takes months, but after a third-party arbitrator reviews the decision, John wins. The arbitrator rules that, yes, John made a mistake. He violated policy, and he didn't follow protocol. But the arbitrator said that John didn't intentionally falsify the form and that firing him was too severe a punishment. John is thrilled, but back at the station with the chief who fired him, things are a little awkward. I met with the chief, and he's like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, good to see you. <laughs> I'm like, okay. So John says he started applying at other police departments. And that's when the Lori list really comes into his life. As soon as I say you're anything remotely similar to this Lori list, they just mm, they kind of back up in their chairs. They, they'd stop writing. They'd, they'd cross their arms. Like, they'll start distancing a little bit like you have a cold. It's, it's really amazing to watch. See, the arbitrator gave him his job back, but didn't have the power to take John's name off the list. And already in job interviews, it was haunting him. I applied over, I think, 25 times to leave Rochester right after that, when I came back and no one called me back. During this period, John says he connected with lots of other cops who were also on the list, just through word of mouth. Many of them were former officers. Whatever put them on the list also got them fired. And he says it was almost like they were members of an exclusive club, like they felt drawn to welcome a new member. I would, I would get random phone calls. Hey, let's meet up. This is what I did. What did you do? Some, some guys were doing it for like embezzlement, theft. I'm just like, <laughs> okay. I, I went, I re- that's when I really determined. I'm like, I, I, sh- I don't want to be on this list. I, I, I don't belong on it. A few years after he was fired, then reinstated, a new chief arrived in Rochester. And John decides to ask if he can take him off the list. The chief says he can't. He would need a court order. And so John decides to try and get just that. He gets a lawyer, and he sues the city he works for. This is case 2015-0062, Officer John Gantert versus City of Rochester et al. His case went all the way to the state Supreme Court. John was there for the argument. Here's John's basic case. Cops don't get enough due process when they're put on the list. A chief makes a subjective decision to put you on it, And that's it. You're marked for the rest of your career. And some of the justices seem sympathetic. One of them even imagines a hypothetical that helps make John's point. The justice says, imagine a cop joking with other cops about lying to his wife. And a prosecutor walks by and happens to overhear. Told his wife he had a work last night. Ha, ha, ha. And they're all laughing. They're all laughing. And Joe says, yeah, you know, I did. uh, You know, shoot me. Or something like that. You know. But, but, it's, but it's clear, or at least it could be found, that the officer lied to his wife. Does the, if, the, the, if the prosecutor now says, listen, I'm, you know, I'm putting this guy on the lorry list because he, he admitted that he lied to his wife, you know, there's no review of that? Well, so I think the hypothetical is probably an unlikely one. And but another justice puts her finger on the absurdity of how what was supposed to be a simple list is causing so much trouble. Let's assume we agree with you. Mm-hmm. Your client should not have been placed on the lorry list. Yes. Now a case comes up involving your client. Doesn't the prosecutor in this situation have the responsibility under Brady to make the disclosure about your client, even if he's not on the lorry list? Does this all simply turn on 
administratively keeping track of people? The answer to both of the justices' questions is yes. Yes, there could be cases where John's incident with the domestic violence form is relevant for a defendant. And it's on the prosecutor to turn that over, whether John is on a secret list or not. And so, yes, this case before the highest court in the state really is just about whether John's name is written down somewhere. That's the weird thing about the Lori list. Over time, it has accumulated all kinds of extra meaning it was never meant to have. The Lori list was created to make prosecutors' lives a little easier, to help them remember which cops might have stuff in their past that needed to be turned over. It was not created to be a roster of cops who couldn't be hired or to become a public symbol of police misconduct. But that's exactly what the list has become. How did that happen? Secrecy. The list is only as bad as the worst egg on there. But it's public perception. If you're on this list, oh, you must be a corrupt cop. You must be dirty. And that's what I'm constantly fighting if someone ever talks about it. I'm just like, that's not what it is. The secrecy of the Lori list leaves no room for nuance. The cops who are on it share in a simple description. Their past behavior could prove useful to a criminal defendant. And that's arguably as true for John Gannard as it is for Steve Lero, the officer from the Carl Lori case. And yet, there's so much that separates them. And it's very likely that not everyone who should be on the list is. Remember, only 17% of police departments in New Hampshire said they reviewed all their personnel files for Lori issues. As for the rest, who knows? And so this is what we're left with. A secret list that doesn't contain everyone it should, that maybe contains a few names it shouldn't, and that affects everyone who's on it as if they were the same. John Gannard lost his case at the Supreme Court. He's still on the Lori list today, and he's still a patrol officer. Fifteen years into his career, he says he continues to get passed up for promotions because of his place on the list. After a break, why the Lori List's days might be numbered. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Here you are. 
BPM high, sweat dripping, body moving, tongue panting. You're working hard, real hard, and you're thirsty. You need vitamins, nutrients for peak performance and energy. And your plants do too. Aww. I mean, just look at the little guy. Water-soluble plant food from miracle Grow is full of essential nutrients. Just a little scoop into your watering can and boom, instant feeding and bigger, more beautiful plants. It's kind of like a sports drink for your plants. You may have to suffer from heat, but your plants do not. Yusra Al-Sadig was sitting on her couch in Berlin, New Hampshire, when the video of George Floyd's death started spreading across the Internet. I remember, because I was just scrolling on my Facebook when I saw it, in my living room, it was just, I have, like, you, you know, we've all heard it before, we've all, but we've never really sat down and watched the video. And like watched it happen for long nine minutes. And that was traumatizing. The video scared Yusra. Like it scared a lot of people. But she tried to push that fear away with her next thought. So I'm like, I'm sure they're going to get what they, you know, no, just the system is going to work it out. It's fine. So comes day one, day two, day three, still no arrests. At that point, I'm freaking out. Is the justice system going to do what it's supposed to do? Are these people going to get in trouble or not? Yusra is originally from Sudan. She's a social worker, is also going to school for a degree in computer science. She moved to the U.S. about seven years ago through a refugee resettlement program. She's lived all over, L.A., New York, and now the North Country of New Hampshire. She says she learned in America that even if she didn't identify as African-American, that was how people saw her. I was just like, oh, I'm international, I'm different. But then very quickly, reality set in, and I realized, oh, you're just black here. (laughs) Yusra quickly found out that Part of being black in America is being treated differently by police. Then I come and find out that if you are black, it's more likely that it could go, if it goes bad, it goes really bad. And I'm now like realizing with my own, oh, I am black and it could go horribly wrong for me. Now, with the killing of George Floyd, that was really hitting home. A third day passed with no arrests, and Yusra decided to do something. She made a sign. On one side, it read, Say His Name, George. On the other side, it asked, Am I next? Yusra took her sign and started walking down the street in Berlin, New Hampshire, a largely white, working-class city of about 10,000 people. Yusra went alone. This was not part of a planned protest. She says some people honked in support, some people stopped to ask her who was George, and one person gave her the middle finger. He's like, this is in Minneapolis, why are you here? Go home. Like, I don't have anything better to do. Why am I worried about stuff that's happening in Minneapolis? This is not here. I was like, but it it affects me. It affected me. It wasn't just strangers on the street. Back at her apartment, Yusra says she and her housemate had a falling out over their different reactions to George Floyd's death. For Yusra, it was a tragedy. 
She says her housemate didn't see it that way. It, it broke that relationship. No one else has seen me, you know, go through that. But he was there. He knew I was not sleeping. He knew, like I sat there and I cried with him on the kitchen table. Yusra moved out. Then she got connected online with other people in her area who wanted to do something, anything, in the wake of George Floyd's killing at the hands of police. Do you want to, maybe we can start introductions while we're waiting for Sebastian? He knows who we are. Yeah. This group includes a letter carrier, a grad student, one of them works at a restaurant. Many of them met at protests in May. And their goal is simple, to make their own local police departments more transparent. They've asked about a dozen departments to share information about their budgets and about their policies on things like use of force. They've had mixed success. One department not only turned over what they asked for, but also posted it online so everyone could see. Others have turned them down flat. But one thing that Yusra and this group cannot get from local police departments, any information about police officers who've been disciplined for misconduct. The closest thing New Hampshire has to a central database of that is the Lori list. They asked a few departments if they have officers currently serving who are on the list, but of course, they didn't get answers. And for Yusra, as a member of the public, as a black member of the public who has to wonder if she is next, if she could just peek under the hood to see if that system of police policing themselves is working the way it's supposed to, she would feel better. She says it would help just to know. But if I don't know, I'm thinking maybe the justice system works. Maybe they're doing what they're supposed to do. But since I don't know, maybe not. To turn a blind eye is basically saying, well, I hope the justice system works. That's not good enough for me. It's also not how it works everywhere in America. Access to police misconduct files is a patchwork in the U.S. Rachel Moran, the law professor we heard from earlier, studies this. She says you can split states up into three basic categories. There are a few states that the files themselves are entirely accessible to the public, save for redactions about, you know, personal phone numbers or home addresses. Um, Those states, Florida, Georgia, I think Arizona, those are examples of states that have truly broad records laws that allow any member of the public to access the personnel file except for redactions. Then there are states where police misconduct files are somewhat public. One example is Minnesota, where Rachel lives and where George Floyd was killed. So let's put this, we'll put this in the context of Derek Chauvin for a minute, the officer accused of murdering George Floyd. He has, I believe it's 19 prior complaints over his career. Only two of them were sustained with discipline imposed and therefore those files are accessible. The remaining 17, all we know is complaints were made and that they were closed without discipline. And then there are states like New Hampshire, where police misconduct files are confidential. If George Floyd had been killed in this state, it's possible we still wouldn't know whether the officer had a history of complaints. And in those states, one of the only ways that police misconduct makes it out is through reporters. Once you do one story about a police officer who's done something wrong, then you get about 10 tips on another police officer. 
Today, Nancy West runs her own nonprofit news website called In-Depth NH. And she's still chasing that story of a secret list of dishonest police. And now, more than 10 years after she started digging, she might actually get to see it through. In 2018, the ACLU of New Hampshire decided to sue to make the Lori list public. They approached Nancy and other media outlets about joining the case, and she jumped at the chance. We are the named plaintiff, and I believe that's because we've done the most work over the years on the Lori issues, and I'm very proud of that. A handful of local newspapers are also named as plaintiffs in the case. They each filed a public records request for an unredacted Lori list, and they were all denied. That lawsuit reached the New Hampshire Supreme Court in September of 2020. I was there for the arguments, along with a handful of lawyers. They argued through masks. Dan Will, for the state, went first. He told justices, there's really no compelling public interest in making the list public. He reminded them that for every officer on the list, there's just a word or two, like credibility or falsifying evidence. If you make the list public, that's all the public will know about that officer. It's not a mechanism that has been designed and implemented to advance transparency and accountability for police misconduct. This list is not the tool to achieve that. It was never intended to be, and, um, and it, it cannot serve that function. Gilles Bissonnette with the ACLU argued next. He said the Lori list, as it exists today, undermines public trust in law enforcement and the criminal justice system. is working effectively. The system that we currently have in criminal cases is that defendants just have to trust that this regime is working well, that they are getting everything that they're supposed to get. They have no way of verifying it. With transparency... All three of you go on. I want to thank you for those excellent presentations. And the case uh, is taken under advisement, of course, and the court is in recess. Thank you, Your Honor. A ruling could come by the end of the year. And for now, that's where the story of the Lori List stands. Still secret, but maybe not for much longer. A state commission on policing recently recommended that not only should the Lori List be made public, it should be made obsolete. The commission called for a single new agency to investigate all complaints against police and findings of misconduct would be made public. But those are just recommendations. For now, all we have is the Lori List, the same one Nancy West first fought to make public more than a decade ago. And no one knows exactly what will happen if it is made public. Defense attorneys are likely to take a close look, and newspapers are sure to publish it. But what will we see? How many people on the list are still working as police officers? Will cases be overturned like Carl Lori's? Will it give people like Yusra al-Sadiq more faith in law enforcement? Maybe. But what making the list public won't do is change the fundamental nature of secrecy around police misconduct in New Hampshire. And so, for now, if you're looking for an answer as to whether you can trust the cops, you're on your own. The list was created by the document team at New Hampshire Public Radio. It was reported, written, and mixed by me, Jason Moon. Lauren Chuljan is Document's senior producer. Document is edited by Dan Barrick. 
Additional editing help from Erica Janik, Maureen McMurray, Mary McIntyre, and Todd Bookman. Original artwork for the series was created by Sarah Plord. She also manages the digital presence of the document team. NHPR's director of audience is Rebecca Lavoie. Thank you to Buzz Scher, Larry Vogelman, Janet Champlin, Jonathan Abel, Marika Gillis, Karen Nicolina-Stevens, Chelsea Cathcart, Sam Main, Sebastian Wee, Bill Chapman, Jill B. Sinet, Tracy Reel, and the National Registry of Exonerations. We also want to send special thanks to some of our radio peers for their advice, including Emmanuel Jochi, Max Green, Madeline Barron, Parker Yesko, Natalie Jablonski, Raymond Tungakar, Kate Cahan, Tony Arnold, Brita Green, and Angela Evansy. Stay subscribed for more stories from Document. I live by routines, but I especially love my same-day delivery routine with Shipped. And my shopper knows this about me. When Sunday rolls around and I place my weekly stock-up order, Joe sends texts from the aisles. Wilted lettuce? Nah, hard pass. Deal on my favorite sparkling water? Whew, grab two. Fresh flowers just because? Hmm, sounds like a delightful idea. If you love routines that work for you, get Shipped same-day delivery. Shipped. Delight in every delivery. Learn more at ship.com slash high. On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers.